This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 101, Quick Answers to Common Questions, Part 3. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you've tuned in again for episode 101. And uh, this is common answers to, uh, could be common answers. It's meant to be quick answers to common questions. And this is part three. So really what we're doing on these last few episodes is just taking some some uh, topics, some uh, common questions that people would have and giving some quick answers on each of these. Joining me today are Pastor Strobel from beautiful, sunny downtown Lockport, New York. Pastor Strobel, how are you? I'm doing well, and it is beautiful and sunny out. There you go. And this is, what is this? This is August 30th, 2021. So pretty nice that it's sunny in Lockport. Yes. And also joining us is Pastor Stephen A. Bear from beautiful, sunny Buffalo, New York. It is sunny, and it is beautiful, and it's been hot, and people think that it snows all the time in Buffalo, but it doesn't. We have uh, good weather here, and uh, it's been a warm one throughout this past week, so uh, good day. Awesome. Glad that uh, things are going well there, and um, Matthew, who would normally be joining us, Matthew, a missionary to the uh, Arctic at Point Hope, um, is not able to join us. I believe he said because it was turned out to be a nice day there as well. They are out and working on their team camp and doing some building. Um, he's really learned some skills while he's up there putting together buildings and, and uh, assorted things. <laughs> so, Steve, if we need him to do some work for us when he comes home, we can put him to work. When he comes home, we'll do that. Marvelous. <laughs> oh we're gonna have to talk afterwards (laughs) Uh, so new sound bites from the last episode that's right yeah really that's actually from a few episodes ago but uh, i'm a little red in the face right now Uh, so we're we're going to take a look at some quick answers to common questions. But before we do that, I wanted to first of all say that if you, that's right, you listening to this podcast would like a That's in the Bible t-shirt for absolutely free, no strings attached, um, let us know. We still have a supply left and currently still have all sizes ranging from small, medium, large to extra large. So if you'd like one, let me know, and uh, we'll send one out to you. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention was if you have questions, concerns, things that you'd like to see covered, you can do that, and you can do that by following these instructions. 
Have a question or topic that you want covered, email us at that's in the Bible at gmail.com or leave a phone message at 716-584-1611. God bless. Steve, don't you just want to harmonize with that in there, that God bless part? Um, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> so, any anything that uh, we need to talk about before we get into today's uh, questions and answer their their common questions? Well, not that I can think of. I can on my end, either. All right. Well, we're gonna not unless you're gonna stir the pot and get something going, Eric. Uh, you know, that's the Steve, only time. You know, I never do anything like that. <laughs> Uh, I know we'll talk after, right? Yeah. <laughs> Steve's referring back to many years ago. He's not referring to anything recent, I don't believe. But so, Eric, that is your persona. Is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so well, let's look at some of the questions that we um, do would like to answer today. And the first one actually is, I think, quite uh, topical. And it has to do with cross-dressing. So that would be, you know, men wearing women's clothing and women wearing men's clothing. And um, and today they would say, well, you know, I'm a man, but I identify as a woman. So that, that's why I'm wearing women's clothing and, and vice versa. So anything in the Bible about that topic? Um, it seems to be kind of trendy, so perhaps the Bible doesn't speak on that. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I'll just say that you know, people obviously have a free will, and people don't like to be told what to do or what they can and can't do. And uh, we're people, and we don't like it either. However, uh, there is a God in heaven, and he's in charge, and he gave us an instruction manual. Uh, it is the Bible. And we are told as human beings created by him that we're to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So there is an authority and it, and it rubs us all the wrong way sometimes. And so without any bones to pick about uh, anybody, uh, it's really any topic has to be approached by what saith the scriptures. And this subject of, of cross dressing, um, obviously it has a lot to do with, as you've already alluded to, uh, just the breaking down of the the different genders. And we need to understand from a scriptural standpoint that there are different genders, and there's only two. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 19, 4, says, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? That's how God made them. God made man that way, male, and he made woman that way, female. So mankind was male and female. The animal uh, creation was male and female. And uh, back in the Old Testament, and we understand that we're not under the Old Testament law, but we can still gain instruction from it. And uh, there are still things in the Old Testament law that that cover us as New Testament. So uh, I'm not suggesting the whole Old Testament is done away with by any means. Um, for example, thou shalt not kill uh, is true in both Testaments. But um, some of the instruction the Lord gives has to do with a distinction between male and female. 
And when it comes to dressing, one thing that he said in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, was the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. So from right there, there was a difference between the way a woman would dress and the way a man would dress. He goes, says, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Uh, less familiar is the remainder of the verse, or the next line especially, which says, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. And uh, the first part of that tends to be quoted more than this, the second part of that. And it goes on to summarize saying, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So there was a distinction that God made in the scriptures between men and women, uh, women, male, female, and even the way that they were to present themselves, the way that they were uh, to dress. The man wasn't to dress like the woman. The woman wasn't to dress like uh, the man. And of course, we're living in a day where anything goes and nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own person, uh, because really we're, we're in the day when uh, everybody's like they like the devil told Eve she would be after she ate of the fruit, uh, gods, and everybody's their own god, and they make up their own mind. They're not in subjection to anybody but themselves and their own ideals. But the, that's part of the principle that the Old Testament gave. I'll just give you one more thing from the New Testament, and regarding this behavior, we see a lot of. Um, lot of it going on today. I, I, I say a lot, really not, it's not all over the place, but you will encounter it from time to time with men uh, dressing like women. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Without going into a big, gigantic, long exposition about all that entails, uh, what the Lord does group in with these other people, fornicators, adulterers, drunkards, thieves, etc., is effeminate. And that is, is listed as something that we're not supposed to be. As a man, we're supposed to be like a man. We're supposed to be manly. We're not to be effeminate. But you have a lot of this going on where even I'm noticing where they're not always dressing like women, a lot of them are talking like it. They have that effeminate brogue. And, and even if they're not professing gay people, there's a lot of that just soft, effeminate type of, of speak and speak speaking. And again, it all goes to, it all goes to, to deal with just a breaking down of the identities that God gave man and woman and, and humanity when he created them. And basically try and tell the Lord he doesn't know what he's doing. But he does. Amen. Amen. Um, let me just add a couple of things uh, to that because that's, that's well said and, and it'll probably be almost exactly what I would probably say to somebody else if that uh, issue came up. But let me just add this, that, that uh, it seems as though culture uh, tries to uh, dictate to the populace, if you will, uh, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. We've seen that in fashion through the years, that fashion, uh, you know, th certain things come in style and, and whether it's uh, women's clothing or men's clothing, what what is in vogue and so forth. And, and it's uh, uh, the, the manufacturers produce these clothes so that all the people will wear them. And uh, it is it changes all the time. Whether it's uh, and it, it always seems to be uh, things that would be contrary to the Bible. In that God uh, is holy and wants His people to be holy. 
it always seems as though the the fashions turn to be very risque, uh, very revealing, where God would want you to cover up and so forth. Uh, man wants you to reveal. And, uh, of course, the verse that, that comes to mind uh, there in First Timothy 2.9, it says, in, in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety and so forth and so on. Uh, God puts the parameter on modest apparel, whereas the fashion industry wants you to be in uh, a more revealing and risque type of thing. And, and obviously, mm-hmm. it's, it's contrary to the Word of God. And so, you know, oftentimes, in, in Bible-believing uh, Christian churches, you'll see uh, the ladies and, and men, respectively, uh, putting on more of a modest apparel. Now, obviously, in churches uh, today, in, in probably uh, the more mega churches and even more liberal churches, you're seeing that dress code, if you will, uh, being uh, abridged, and and people are dressing more uh, in fashions that the world would agree with than what the Bible would agree with. And a lot of that uh, is, is, you know, we're, we're not told to conform to this world, but to be transformed. And uh, oftentimes people that are, that are trying to push the envelope are trying to go beyond what is right and normal and, uh, and trying to, uh, you know, be like everybody else. And, and Christians are doing that very thing. Along with the, the uh, cross-dressing and so forth, it seems as though there are a lot of people that are dissatisfied with how God made them. As Pastor Strobel mentioned, uh, there's either male or female. There's no in-between and so forth. And you are either bio- biologically a male or a female. I don't care how many hormones you take or how many operations or surgeries you have to try to change things around. Biologically, according to your cell makeup, you are either a man or a woman. There's a verse that comes to mind uh, with that rebellion, that that uh, desire to be something else, not satisfied with with what God has made you. It's found in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. It says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the things formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Uh, you know, there are there are times when, when people maybe early on in their life, they might wish they were a boy or wish they were a girl and things along that line. But we find most of the times that, that they grow out of that once they uh, get more mature and they get through their adolescence and so forth. The thing that's, that's strange about this and thing that probably people don't really check, and especially as our culture is progressing and, and moving in a, in a more devilish <laughs> a direction, is that at one point, Divorce was was uh, uh, anathema. I, uh, it was it was looked down upon for anyone that was divorced. They were the offscouring of society. Uh, now you have divorce rates that are above fifty percent, and and it's accepted. It's just uh, part of life, and you didn't get along, and things didn't work out, and you don't have to work at it to keep it together. It just you know let's just get a divorce easy solution to it. Went through the age, and I grew up during that time where, where it was a rebellion against the status quo of the churches of that time that, that uh, you, you would save yourself for marriage and not have sex beforehand. But then, you know, during that time or, or preceding that time, an Ill, illegitimate birth was looked down upon. 
now it's it's not looked down upon. Uh, here, you not too long ago, you had homosexuality that was looked down upon, and now culture has has demanded that everybody accept it. Now they're moving towards transgender, and now they're they're demanding that acceptance. So now we're getting into the self identity to whatever you choose to be and choosing your pronouns and all that kind of stuff. So if history is showing that there is a digression of all of these standards that the word of God has set forth, what's next? Is uh, pedophilia or uh, pedestry, is is that okay? I mean, most people right now would say that that's wrong. But where, it, where are we leading as a society? And then obviously the last one coming up to it, which is really abhorrent, is bestiality. But all of those things are done by certain segments of society now, but they're looked down upon. Now, the standard is the Word of God. And what's happened is that people have fallen away from the Word of God, and they are accepting things because culture and society has has uh, guilt-tripped them into thinking that what their standard is, is draconian, it's, it's uh, Elizabethan, it's, it's out of date, it's, it's uh, passe, and we need to get along with the times. And I'm, I'm telling you that we should get back to the Bible and not, uh, not cater to fashion and culture. Amen. So that's pretty much where, where we're at. Amen. Right. And, and as Steve was uh, mentioning, he, he was, actually talked about should modern culture dictate Christian beliefs. That's episode 33. So if you'd like more information on that, or you'd like to hear more about that topic, that's episode 33 on that's in the Bible at that's in the Bible.com. Should modern culture dictate Christian beliefs? You'll also notice that both pastor Strobel and pastor bear um, are not giving their opinion. They're referring to the Bible. And when we say Bible, we're talking about the King James Bible. So um, if you're wondering, well, what makes the King James Bible so great or superior? Episode 25, the superiority of the King James Bible. We covered that, and we've covered it in other episodes too, but that's one you might want to check out. Check out episode 25, the superiority of the King James Bible. Guys, thank you for covering those two topics, and I know that they, um, you know, even today that uh, many Christians are wondering, well, you know, where, where do I find that information and what does the Bible say about it? <clears throat> Let's go on to the next topic. And the next question, is it wrong to make money and have wealth? Some people have said that, well, why is it that Christians have to be poor and, and uh, you know, not have any money and not be wealthy? Are you saying that, you know, uh, and I know that there's a prosperity gospel that some folks promote on television that say, you know, if you're truly following God and doing what uh, God wants you to do and that, that he'll bless you with cars and houses and wealth. And, um, but aside from that, is it, is it wrong to be wealthy, to have material things? Um, or are you closer to God if you don't have those? Or do we live to live like, you know, monks that, um, you know, don't have a material possessions. What's, what's the take on that by the Bible? Well, uh, let me just start out with this. And, and uh, again, th- these are lengthy topics that, that could go <laughs> a long way with a lot of scripture and stuff. But 
Let's look, take a look in Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. I uh, want to take a look at two verses here. It says, uh, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Now, in and of themselves, riches aren't bad. Uh, I think that, that God, uh, especially in, in the Christian realm, uh, gives riches to those whom he think he, he can trust with the riches. Uh, oftentimes, the riches skews the, uh, the value system of an individual. I've often wondered, you know, God, why haven't you given me a million dollars? And he knows that I couldn't take care of it. It would mess me up. It would make me a different person than I am. And uh, so he doesn't trust me with, with a lot of money. Now, he trusts me with some, <laughs> but he doesn't trust me with a lot. And uh, that's, that's God's foreknowledge in knowing the character of an individual. So there's nothing wrong with riches as long as it's handled correctly for most of us. You know, that would maybe make that claim because they desire to have money. There's a couple of verses to keep in mind. Part of a verse found in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, be, be content with such things as you have. So if the Lord blesses you with a certain amount of money, be content with it. Uh, if, you know, to go out and to try to, to earn wealth, to be wealthy, that's what that proverb is talking about. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Uh, if God gives it to you, praise the Lord. But we're not supposed to go out there to strive to be rich. Another thing that Jesus Christ said to those uh, uh, soldiers that came up to, it's either Jesus Christ or I think it might have been John the Baptist, I think. John the Baptist, I think, said this. And it says, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. So uh, being in a, a union for as long as I was as a, a fabricator welder, uh, I had a hard time with the union when they just kept trying to press this class envy of, of saying that, ownership and, and those in management don't deserve the money that they have. We need more money and so forth and so on. Uh, I always tried to, when somebody would ask me about it, I would always say, hey, you know, I, I'm thankful for the job I have and, and I just try to be content with the wages that I have. And uh, not to live beyond my means and to do, you know, uh, just be content <laughs> and and live for God the best way I can with what God uh, gives me. Uh, there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with with uh, doing your job well. There's nothing wrong with promotions if you if you uh, do a good job. Uh, you know, it's not like you have to quote refuse the the uh, promotions that you get. But the whole idea is is with the sole mind and intent of trying to be rich to be rich. And just to be able to buy all the things that you want to have, all the toys that you want to, to have, uh, that's probably the wrong mindset. I think that's what God's trying to, trying to get to. Amen. Pastor Strobel, anything to add? 
Uh, yes, that's good stuff right there. And uh, as it's already been mentioned, this is it comes from the Bible. I mean, that's what this program is. That's in the Bible. So we're not just trying to uh, tell you, well, this is what I think. That's what I think. We 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 take our opinions and we try to table them and then uh, get an opinion from the scriptures. So it may come off as, well, this is what I think, but we're trying to tell you what we think because of what the Bible says. And so Amen. when it comes to this, as far as it being um, wrong uh, to be rich or whether or not it is, uh, Steve said it well, it's not in and of itself a sin. What, what the problem is, it's a person's attitude toward money. And that's why First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Yes. And it's not money. There was an old uh, famous song by a famous rock group that uh, misquoted that verse, called the song money, and said money is the root of all evil, so they say. And that's not what the verse says. It's the love of money. It's your heart. It's your attitude. Yeah. And the fullness of that verse, First Timothy 6.10, says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Amen. And as Brother Steve also mentioned, it really is a vast topic and, and something that, you know, to cover it completely would take um, more than one study because the scriptures does have a lot to say about the subject. When it comes to uh, being rich, the Lord doesn't rebuke a rich person per se just because he is rich. There are in the Bible some, some good rich people. In fact, especially in the Old Testament where it was a whole different type of a setup. Um, you know, Abraham was a great man when it came to riches and his wealth. Job himself was a great man when it came to riches. Then he lost it all, then he got it back. Um, additionally, in the New Testament, you can find some good rich people. For example, uh, one Joseph of Arimathea. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, it says, when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And this is a man that uh, says in verse 58, went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Here this rich man took of his riches and used it to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the best thing you know you can do uh, with your riches. Really, um, if the Lord if the Lord gives you riches, you, you want to be able to use them for the Lord. Which is not to say that you can't buy anything for yourself, because again, people kind of get out of balance. In the same chapter from First Timothy chapter six, where he talked about love of money being the root of all evil, he had some instruction later on in that chapter uh, for rich people, and that was in First Timothy six verse seventeen. And, and Paul to Timothy says this, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And so he says, look, your trust shouldn't be in those uncertain riches. Why? Because as, as Steve quoted, they make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward yes. heaven. You can't put your trust in, in the riches. The trust got to be in God. But by the same token... He said to those rich in this world, he said, look, it's God who's given you richly, given all of us richly all things to enjoy. The blessings we have, the things that we have that we can get with money to enjoy, they come from the Lord. And we're to be content with food and raiment. But let's just be honest about it. I probably don't have a person listening to me right now that all you have in life is food and raiment. 
Now, if by chance I am, you're going to be content with that. But the fact is, most of us have food, raiment, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And and some of those things, you know, that are a blessing, we're not using them for sin. I mean, look, those good things God gave us to enjoy. So we can enjoy, enjoy him, give him the glory. But uh, like anything else in life, you should pray and seek the Lord about what to do with, with what he gives you. And um, I'll give you a... Uh, one other verse that I find and have found very instructive, it's from Psalm 62. In verse number 10, it says, uh, trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. And here's the instruction. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And we, um, I, I may insert a, another thought with a verse here, but just to wrap this thing up, we get in conversations about people who are, are worried about the finances and, and the whole economy blowing up and so on and so forth. And and I've had these conversations on and off for years and they come in waves depending on the current you know world situation. And I remember just finally just telling telling them and I've said it from the pulpit, if we ever get to the place where, you know, well, let's uh, well we think about the money right now. I mean, you know what most of our money is? It's it's numbers in, in some computer uh, storage place somewhere. That's what I mean, most of it really is. Yeah. And, and, and people think, well, okay, then I'm going to get, you know, gold and silver. Look, if nobody's got money and the money isn't worth anything and people are trying to get food, I mean, that, that ain't going to do you any good either. <laughs> but, but the, the, the point about it is if we ever get in the place where the money isn't worth anything and, and, you know, everybody's, the, the whole economy is, has come to a bust then, you know, we're just going to find ourselves in a scriptural situation, having to pray like the Lord taught us to pray, Lord, give us this day yeah, our amen. daily bread. Amen. And if, if I don't want to see it come to that, but if it does, I know how to live through that. Right. I know how to, to live in whatever I've got right now. And this has got to be our mindset. It's our trust is not to be in the bank account. How much money you got? What do you have in your wallet? What kind of job you got? What kind of future uh, plans and, and hopes you have? It's got to be in God Amen. because he's the one that provides it. Um, he, and there's an Old Testament reference, I think it's in Deuteronomy, that, that says it's the, the Lord that, that gives the power or giveth the power to, to get wealth. And that's where it comes from. Amen, amen. 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 Eric, let me let me just add one sure. more thing, and this is just on a little bit different vein. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 25, Jesus Christ makes a remarkable statement. And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And of course, the, the implication, you know, uh, the disciples were incredulous with this thing and they were astonished. And, and, and their question was, who then can be saved? And uh, Jesus Christ responded and says, with men it is impossible, uh, but not with God. For God, all things are possible. It's talking about going through the eye of that needle, that camel going through the eye of a needle. That's a literal needle. It's not some gate there in Jerusalem, because they actually do go through that gate, <laughs> at, at least at one time. So it's not impossible for them to do that. But the admonition is, is as, as Brother Strobel and I, I both mentioned, that, that trust being in riches. And unfortunately for many people, and, and we've all gone door to door and, and gone up to some very nice homes and knocked on the door, 
and uh, trying to give them the gospel or at least have an opportunity to give the gospel. And what's standing in their way is their riches. Uh, they, they are trusting in their riches. They think that they don't need anything. They don't, you know, they're not in any trouble. There's nothing going on in their lives. Everything is good. Everything is fine. And they have no, uh, concern or realization of how much in danger they are of their very soul, uh, in that it's going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And when a person trusts their riches, uh, they are not thinking of the kingdom of God. They're not thinking about being saved. They're just learning how, or, or concerned more about how to increase that wealth and uh, uh, finding their, their next toy that will entertain them for a day or two, and then they'll put it in a junk heap and go find something else. Uh, they, they need to be concerned about their soul. And if anyone's listening to this podcast that may be in that state, where they have a semblance of money, you don't maybe not a millionaire or whatever, but you're comfortable. Uh, but your soul is destitute. You you need to to take the warning, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior before it's eternally too late. Amen. 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 And if you find yourself financially in dire straits and you're wondering how to how to climb out of it, when and you know, there, the Bible, as Pastor Strobel and Pastor Steve have both mentioned, that there is more information about these topics that we're covering. And we did cover uh, personal finances um, in episode number 47. So I encourage you to check that out on That's in the Bible, episode 47. It's a whole podcast on personal finances. And, um, you know, what does the Bible say about managing your money and, and how to, uh, and how to, you know, manage your money, I guess, is the, the way that works out. So so take a look at that. And also, if um, again, if you have questions and other topics you'd like to see covered, be sure and send us an email at that's in the Bible at gmail.com. All right, let's go on to another one. Um, you know, we just have our, I was going to say come through, but we are still going through it, um, an unprecedented time in, in certainly our lives perhaps history, where we've had this virus that um, for a time actually closed some churches, um, depending on what, I guess, state you're in and where you're at. And, um, you know, that was something I would have never thought was going to be possible in my lifetime, that churches would, you know, be closed per order the, the state or the government. And um, during that time, some folks uh, didn't attend church or they watched it or listened to it online. I know that my wife and I did for a time. Um, but then churches opened up again, and and these two pastors can probably speak better about it than I can, but I know just from the church that I attended that some people didn't return. And, you know, before the COVID situation hit, which... Um, caused this disruption in attendance of church. Some folks had the belief that, well, you know, church is just a building. Can't I just go into nature and commune with God instead and, and have church in my own way and, and um, you know, be with God that way? Why do I have to attend a building? And, and um, you know, with, with COVID, you know, some of us um, didn't attend church for a time. So what do you think, guys? Is, is it is it absolutely mandatory to, to have to go to church? Can you can you not just uh, 
worship God in your own way and, and um, in your own time. What do you think? What's the Bible say about that? Well, I'll just say this first about the, the COVID thing, and that was obviously extenuating circumstances. And there are still people uh, right now that are vulnerable to the virus that are not yet comfortable coming to church. And uh, like a lot of things with the virus, I think that is an individual thing that people have to deal with and pray through. So what I'm going to say is apart from that, just in general about uh, church attendance and and how that works under normal circumstances. Under normal circumstances, uh, God uh, in the New Testament established the local church, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he died for that church. And that church is comprised of the body of saved believers in general. And that's the, you know, that is the church, which is his body. But there is also in the scriptures local churches. Now, this is a whole other subject, but <laughs> there, there is a difference between a local church and the church that is the corporate body of Christ. And we have even good Baptist brothers that uh, disagree with that and don't believe that. But um, again, I think this is the scriptural uh, position on it. Uh, regarding that, there are other people that, that believe that you know, there is no such thing as a local church that all the only church in the Bible is this is the a body of Christ and, and the big corporate part of it. So you have extreme positions and, and those that think that it's just the, the body of Christ don't think that, you know, there is really any such thing as a local church. But not to believe in the local church is, is not to believe the Bible. I mean, uh, John addresses seven different local churches in Revelation. Paul writes to different churches when he's addressing his epistles. There were obviously local churches in the scriptures. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the local church was of, of such importance that when Paul uh, wrote to Titus, he said in Titus chapter 1 and verse number, uh, starting in verse number 4, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. <laughs> now, why did he want him to ordain elders? Because he wanted churches there. What follows that is um, the qualifications for the bishop that line up uh, very much with what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 regarding the elders. And he would say that uh, if any be blameless, and this is now Titus, it'll sound like a little bit like Timothy, but he said, if any be blameless, husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. So now he's given this, these qualifications to ordain elders, these bishops in uh, every city. And, and that's because he wanted local churches in every city. So people, wherever they lived, would have a church that they could go to uh, within vicinity, their vicinity, where they would be able to attend it and, and get there with reasonable uh, travel. To the point that should we still be doing it? You know, uh, times have changed, day and age have changed. And, and, and the reason people uh, like to think that we shouldn't be doing it is because the same reason they, they like to excuse any sin. They don't want to. The flesh doesn't want to get up on Sunday morning. Some people say, oh, that's my only day off. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, folks, w w the Lord sacrificed his entire life for us. And we don't like to set aside a little bit of time uh, for him. It really is a small portion of, of our week that we set a time. But to the point that should we still be doing this or not, the obvious glaring Bible reference 
uh, is Hebrews chapter 10:25, and I apologize to Steve if he had that waiting in the wings, but <laughs> but it is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Lord says this assembling of ourselves together, and when people study theology and they study the church, they always define the church like this: a called out assembly. And that's because we we get away from where we live and we get out together with the with God's people. We assemble together. And he says, not forsaking that, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Some people will do that. He says, you're not to do that. He says, you're to be exhorting one another, not and not less as we get towards Jesus coming. But he said, so much the more as you see the day approaching. So that leads to something else that's going on, and that is the not only some people forsaking church altogether, but those that haven't forsaken altogether, it's the diminishing of the regular services and the regular weekly services in a an independent Bible-believing church and even a lot of Bible-believing churches that may not be independent, but the regular weekly services were uh, Sunday school on Sunday morning, uh, a main service on Sunday morning, a Sunday evening service, and then a, a midweek service, generally on, on Wednesday. And what you see is, you see because sometimes because of lack of, of attendance, people start blowing off those services. Well, I say people, pastors, churches start eliminating those services. And another thing that uh, happens is if the pastor doesn't eliminate it, I mean, the, the people start uh, you know, eliminating it from their lives so that you have you know, lower and lower attendance on those services. But it doesn't matter if there is lower attendance. I think these things should still be done, especially since the Lord said we're not to forsake the assembling, but, but to do it so much more as you see the day approaching. You keep on doing it to honor God. And the Lord, you know, he'll, he'll meet with you there. I told our folks just happened in, in, a, in a message yesterday, one of the messages yesterday, um, you know, if you would attend our services regularly through the years that we offer, like in addition to the morning and evening preaching, the Sunday school where we teach through a topic or a book of the Bible, and the Wednesday night Bible study where we teach through a topic or a book of the Bible, if you'd just been consistently attending them through the years, man, you'd have had yourself a free uh, Bible institute or Bible college education. Amen. <laughs> because, Amen. I mean, over time, we just, you cover material. And I'm going to stop now, but I could go on, but let's go to see talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, amen. Um, that verse was hanging in the wings, but that's, that's fine. I've got some other things here. So, um, you know, there is a time, uh, you know, for those to, that are using, um, how shall I say, you know, can I worship on my own and so forth? I think it's healthy to worship on your own. I, I think there's a time that you ought to go out there and, and just, uh, Look up into the heavens, like it says in Psalm 119, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. There's a time when you can think about, you know, who God is and, and who you are in relationship to him and be like David in Psalm 139. It says, I will praise thee for I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. There's this self-awareness of all of these things. And you can do that individually. But I, I think that ought to be a time where you don't have a golf club in your hand or you don't have a fishing rod in your hand or you don't have a shotgun in your hand. 
Uh, most of the guys that use that excuse of going out and say, well, you know, pastor, I can, I can worship out there and in nature, you know, and they have in mind going out to the deer blind or going out to the fishing hole. And, and that's their excuse for, for skipping church so that they can go out and do what they'd rather do. Uh, we've already established, Pastor Robles already established that God uh, wanted pastors in those churches that were established by the missionaries, you know, uh, uh, the apostles and so forth, Paul and Barnabas and uh, Apollos and others that went out. So much so that when, when Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he says that those people that are given to the church are gifts. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And the reason for that is for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, you could say that that's the universal, but that'd be a tall order for a pastor to go around to each and every individual's place and try to instruct. The place that, that Paul talked about, he says to those in the churches at such and such and such and such. So there were churches that were established where pastors were teaching and, uh, and preaching the Word of God and instructing those people that were congregating there. He says, till I come uh, in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, who, uh, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, most people would stop there talking about the church, but let's just continue another two verses. The reason why he said what he said there in verses 11 through 16, he starts, he brings it up in verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk no, not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. They were all independent thinkers. They were all following the Gnostics. And here what you have is, is the Apostle Paul telling these Christians to get into church, hear what God has to say, learn together, grow together, be strong together, and so forth and so on. Don't be the lone wolf out there thinking that you're going to be able to handle everything that comes your way. You're going to need a fellowship and Christian support. You're going to need a pastor at some time to help you. And, and if you're just out there on your own, trying to do your own thing, you're not going to have the, the, the strength of a unit uh, as a church is to be able to withstand those, those battles. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Most of the time, and my experience has been most of the time that somebody that has come up to me and said, you know, pastor, I think I, I, I don't need church. I can go out there and do, you know, get it on my own. 
You know what the real problem is? Problems with authority. They're not wanting to submit themselves unto the authority that God has placed a man over them who is in church. And so they'd rather do it on their own and be their own authority so that they can determine what they want to do, what's, what they determine as being sin and, and so forth, and, and they can justify themselves. And in essence, they create a God of their own choosing so that they can feel comfortable with the life they choose to live instead of the life that God wants them to live. Now, are there bad churches out there? Yes. Are there bad preachers out there? Yes. But that shouldn't preclude you from from going and finding a church that you could worship in. It may not be perfect. I'll tell you this before you even start. There's not a perfect church out there. But you still need to find some place where you can worship where you can have the fellowship of believers that will encourage you to live for God another day. Now, there's a lot of churches out there that have no fellowship at all. They come there, they sit there, they they have really no regard. They're doing it out of rote, just out of habit, and it doesn't really mean anything to them. That sometimes mean may mean that you have to travel. Uh, you may have to travel some distance to find a church that will minister to the needs that that you have. And unfortunately, people of uh, this day and age have gotten into the means of convenience. If it's not yep. convenient, then I'm not going to do it. Amen. If it means that I have to travel 45 minutes to go to church because that's a good church and I can get fed there, well, they'd rather not do it because it's not convenient. That means I have to get up earlier on Sunday, or 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 I have to wrestle with the kids a longer time to to get them ready and so forth. There, it's it's all a matter of convenience. And now with the onset of of uh, YouTube and Facebook and and having things online, now people can sit in their pajamas and sip their coffee and eat their bagel, and and watch church. And that's not worship. Uh, I, I, I hate to tell you, but it's not worship. And and, and I want to uh, concur with Pastor Strobel with those. I have some people in my church that fall into that category that have people that are sick uh, with cancer and so forth and can't risk coming to church and, and contracting the, the COVID virus or any other illness that are out there. And that is a convenience for them, and it is a blessing and I, I appreciate the avenue to be able to minister to them so that they don't feel excluded, but it's really not the same thing as being in person in church and getting the the uh, uh, the, the the messages for the Word of God. I tell you what, a song service online is nothing like the song service in person. Amen. Uh, the 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 reading of the scriptures, the the preaching of the Word of God. It is not the same. Now, I've been blessed by by tapes over the past, <laughs> cassette tapes and so forth. I've watched things online, but it is all always a supplement to my church experience, not my sole source. And yeah. so uh, church is important, and I it's so much so that, that God instituted it, and uh, God wants us to follow it. And I think that... Uh, you know, church has been in decline long before COVID. I mean, long before COVID hit, the, the, the church attendance has been declining and declining, and people have been finding more excuses to, to skip church. So the Sunday night services and the Wednesday night services have been declining over the years, and it's it's a matter of convenience. 
it's and I, I hate to be harsh, but they'd rather watch reruns of Friends or some of their other reality TV shows than than coming and getting fed and fellowshipping with the body of Christ. So, uh, with that little negative note, I'll I'll finish there. But I'd encourage you to get back into church and uh, get in fellowship with the Lord and with His people. Amen. If I could add one more thing, just right on that note, you know, because I was thinking about this when I was talking before, but you know, sometimes when the pastors are preaching and, and encouraging folks to come out to all the services and and I don't harp on it but you know every once in a while I will interject it into a message it, it just people need to be reminded of it and and they're accountable for it and everybody's going to make their own decisions yeah. but um, I think when you get preaching about that hey you ought to really come to church for Sunday school and you, you know, we have church on Sunday night you ought to be here and we have Wednesday, you ought to come I think that you know people get oh man pastor just trying to make it so hard on us let me, let me tell, you, tell you something. Do you think it is be, would be easier for me to have one service a week to preach or four? <laughs> I'm not. This is this is making my own job harder. There's plenty of I got plenty of people uh, that I could look at as examples. Say, hey, look, these guys are good folks. They only meet, you know, they dropped all the service. They have one service a week. I mean, that would make my job a lot easier. But it's not about making the job easier. It's about, you know, we we need to be fed and we need Amen. to be encouraged and we need to be exhorted and we need to realize that this world is not our home. And every time we leave home to come to church, we're telling this world, we're not a part of you. Uh, we got something uh, bigger and better and Amen. a higher calling and, and we want to get with God. And I will say this, I practiced this before I preached it. I got saved and I realized they have a Sunday school. All right, I'm up there. Yes. What, what? You have a Sunday night service too, and it's not a rerun of Sunday morning. <laughs> yep. I'm there. Yeah. What's Wednesday night? The first time I ever went to a church service after I got saved, uh, and I grew up in the Catholic church. The first time I ever went to a Bible-believing church service after I got saved was a Wednesday night. And I, I remember coming up to that church. It was a spring uh, evening, and I, and I came up to that church, and here's cars in, in the parking lot, and people are there. We got there a little late. My friend had given me a ride, and we got there a little late. The windows were open in this little country church, and you could hear the singing coming outside of those of the screens on the, on the windows as we approached it. And, and it, it sounded like I was approaching heaven. Yes. And, and I thought to myself— Man, this is where all the people that love Jesus hang out. <laughs> it was Wednesday night, and it wasn't even a holy day of obligation. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Good admonition. Um, for more information, we, we've covered uh, this topic as well. Uh, episode number 66, Is Church Really Necessary? So that's, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible.com. Is church really necessary? And also episode number 78, The Essence of Worship. So a couple of more podcasts for you to check out on this topic to get uh, some more meat of the word. Um, what do you think, guys? One more? One more question? Sure. Yeah. Oh, all right. Here we go. Um, climate change. So this is a big topic, and I know that uh, our current president, um, made this a big topic and I, and I think he's done some uh, allocated some monies towards uh, combating climate change. So folks would say, well, you know, God gave us the earth and to live here and 
shouldn't we be good stewards of the earth and and uh, work to uh, clean the planet and save the planet and fight global warming and and uh, shouldn't Christians be on on board with that as well? Well, look, let me let me just say this: uh, long before the industrial age, the evil capital capitalist and for that matter, long before the evil communist who uh, everybody ignores, which pollutes the, wor- the world uh, or Earth worse than the U.S. does, the Earth goes through cycles. Uh, it warms and it cools. And there's documented evidence of this. It's not something I'm just speaking off the top of my head, but it goes through cycles. And so it gets warm for a period of time and then it cools off for a period of time. Uh, anyone that's that that is my age can remember that the biggest threat that we were facing when we were in school, we were going through grammar school and and junior high and high school was not global warming, it was the nuclear nuclear freeze. It was it was the cooling down of the earth, and then as it went through its cycle and started to warm, then the then the charge came that it was global warming, and now it's climate change, so that they can go either way and, and they can do whatever they want. But I want you to understand that sometimes things happen in this earth that uh, maybe people don't realize take place, uh, but it's God's judgment that takes place and causes things to go awry. And that's obviously because of man's sin and God putting judgment for one of those things. uh, Just there's a few uh, uh, examples that I can cite. One is Elijah going up to Ahab and telling him because of Ahab's sin and Israel's sin and and idolatry and so forth, the 10 Northern tribes of the nation of Israel, that it wasn't going to rain. And uh, Elijah didn't give a a, a particular amount of time. We don't find that out until we get to James chapter 5, that we find out it was three and a half years. But he says it's not going to rain until I say so. And uh, it didn't rain for three and a half years. I'll tell you what, it had an effect on the the land at that time. Uh, You also have Pharaoh and uh, the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh and God uh, sending those 10 plagues. It drastically changed uh, the land of Egypt there uh, till it's not the same even as it, uh, even today as what it was during that time when Moses did that. A- another one that is undoubtable is Noah's flood. It changed the earth. Now, not only is it from God's judgment, but it can also be from the curse of the earth. A lot of people don't realize it. You know, we look at at the the mountain's majesty and we see the forest and all of the things that are there, but you realize it is the end result of of God's judgment with with Noah's flood. And we still look at it as beautiful, but there are curses that came along with this earth. The, The thorn came upon the rose and so forth. And one of those things that causes a problem, and of course you can read about it in, in, um, Oh, in, uh, let me turn there. Just go to Romans, Romans chapter 8 here. Let me get that real quick. Romans chapter 8 just, you know, popped into my mind here. Just hopefully I can get the, the right, uh, right verses here. Take a look in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. It says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, time uh, are not worthy to be compared unto the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, 
talking about the creation, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that hath subjected the same in hope. Because uh, the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Basically, just trying to let you know that there is, the earth is under a curse. Now, how does that earth manifest that curse? Well, one of the things you could look at would be those, uh, uh, the, the, the tectonic plates underneath. And they're grinding and they're rubbing against each other and so forth. And, and every once in a while, there's a little bit of tension that's fixed on that. And there's pressure build up and there's pressure build up. And all of a sudden, it lets go. And let's say it lets go out in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden, a, a wave starts out in the middle of the ocean and it begins to build up speed and speed and speed and becomes a tidal wave or as we know them now as a tsunami and comes up and creates all kinds of devastation and so forth and all why it's because of the curse if that happens in land what happens well an earthquake takes place or some magma is displaced and you have a volcano erupts and the ash and the gas that's uh uh, released from that uh, from that volcano spreads across the sky and pollutes the earth far more than what man could do in a hundred years of all the earth combined. Now they talk about global warming and they talk about all these things that man is doing to the environment. And I, look, I'm for clean water. I want to drink clean water, not dirty water. <laughs> Uh, I want to live in, a, in an earth that's right, and, and I try to do things that are right as far as, as I humanly can do. But there's nothing man that, that man is going to do that is going to destroy this earth. And I'll, I'll leave this for Pastor Strobel. I know he's probably got some things on this, but it is God who is the one that's going to destroy this earth that's not going to be man. And uh, look, there are things that happen and uh, there are byproducts that we have, whether we ex expel carbon dioxide. They talk about the carbon dioxide. Well, if we didn't expel the carbon dioxide and have that kind of reaction, then there wouldn't be any trees living. If there weren't any trees living, there wouldn't be any oxygen given off. All of those things are, are, are things that I think we talked about in one podcast here some long time back. But anyway, uh, those things are necessary for the cycles of life. And to say that we are harming this earth, uh, we may be contributing some to it, but look, I tell you what, just man living, he produces waste. <laughs> he produces waste. And God has developed a system where that waste can be absorbed and then regenerated and and uh, put back into the uh, a useful substance into the earth for the rest of his creation. So God is not taken by surprise by man's wickedness and evilness, as as they would say, the environmentalist would say, uh, that's harming the earth. Are there people that abuse? Yes, and I'm not denying that, but I am saying that 
than anything man can do uh, is not going to destroy this earth. Uh, God's going to do that himself. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Amen. You know, they, as they try to figure these things out, man can only look at it from, from a man standpoint because, you know, the bulk of the people that are dealing with these things, they're, they're godless as far as their, their outlook. They don't see God. They only see science. Really, right. science is their God. And so to that end, they're looking at a, a, a situation from, you know, a physiological standpoint, an earthly standpoint, without taking God or morality in, into effect. And, and the root of this thing, they can't figure out. They, they think they figured it out. They think it's because we're polluting the atmosphere, you know, breaking down the ozone layer, all that kind of stuff. But there's much more to it than that. As, and to follow through with what Steve's saying, man, man is contributing to this by not only his actions, but his immorality. Here's what I want to yes. get. First of all, about, the, about man... And, and people not being able to figure this out from, from a human standpoint. Uh, Lamentations 2.14, he says, Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. And what the prophets were doing, that's essentially what these you know humanist prophets are doing. They're seeing false burdens and causes for global warming, and so many other things are going on in this world right now, when the root of it is the wicked heart of man. To to further the point that Steve had been making about man's behavior, um, the curse, and and everything that also affects nature, uh, here's from Hosea chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth and the word of God is truth. There is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, well, hey, welcome to 21st century America, yay, world. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Now Hosea 4.3, right after that. Therefore, because what he just said, Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish, with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. So the sin of man, just like it did back in the the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, it does bring a curse, and it continues to bring a curse. And the more people sin, the more judgment comes upon the land. Man's It's man's sin that's messing this thing up. Amen. And um, and God, he is in, indeed in control of this thing. I mean, he's got, he's got his hand upon it. Um, what, what Brother Steve said, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to say about the exact same thing about it. It doesn't matter what we do. There's, there's nothing that we can do right now to prolong the earth, so to speak, or, or to make it uh, be here for, for a smaller amount of time. Because God's not, he's not looking at it from the standpoint of you know, what we're doing in business and industry and, and with our, our pollution. And again, that being said, I'm for 
you know, not having a bunch of pollution. Because as Steve said, I like drinking clean water. You take, um, you know, recently, I say recently, it's been a number of years now, but uh, our garbage uh, system, you know, came, came to the place where we had to recycle. And, you know, at home, it started to be a, a real pain. But, um, you know, immediately, I, I began to, to, to like it. And, and I really like it. Do you know why I, I love recycling? Because I save a lot of money on trash bags. <laughs> I ha- we have to, we, I hardly have to empty the trash at all anymore. Most of it goes in the recycle bin. You just, you know, get it in there and, and uh, you don't have to buy trash bags. Maybe once or twice a week, you got to empty the garbage and throw it in the garbage. Can. It's, it's great. <laughs> but no matter what we do or don't do, this earth is going to be here for at least another 1,007 years. Right. You have seven years of tribulation, and yes, I still do believe it's seven years. That's another topic for another time. But it's, it's, it's seven years tribulation and 1,000 years for the millennium. That's, that's what's coming in the future. And then after that, again, no matter what we do, after that, this earth will end. And it's going to end with global warming. Yes, it will. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So what about it? So we're trying to get your attention. He says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. This is all temporary down here. Amen. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen. Amen. Hey, you know why new heavens and new earth going to last forever? Because of righteousness. Yeah. And, and the reason this one comes to an end is because of, the, the, of sin. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And again, that starts with salvation, receiving Jesus Christ and trusting the blood that he shed to purge you from your sins and and give you eternal life. And then after you're saved, uh, walking with God and living right so that when the Lord does come or when you go, uh, you can stand before him having done your best or or at least enough to where he might be able to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because it's all coming down to that. Save or loss, it all comes down to one day you got a, an appointment to stand before God. And you don't want to go unprepared into that appointment. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, I feel spiritually uplifted with the end of that. Um, you know, that we have a, uh, a greater hope than trying to save the world and the planet and, and, you know, things that are happening here. So thank you guys. Thank you for those covering those topics. And, you know, it just, and I, I've had someone come up to me before to say this to me that had started listening to the podcast that said that, wow, you guys, you really, the Bible really does seem to have an answer for everything. <laughs> And yes, it does, as you've just seen. You know, the the both of these pastors are not 
giving their, well, this is what I think, or this is how I feel. They're giving you Bible verses, and we encourage you to, to um, since this is a podcast that's recorded, you can go back and, and you can slow it down, you can stop, you can pause, look up these verses along with the pastors, make sure that what we're saying is, is Bible. And um, you should do that wherever you go, and whoever you're listening to, you should always have a Bible and be checking what everybody is saying. Amen. So thanks, guys. Much appreciated, and great to to uh, meet with you again. And uh, Lord willing, Matthew will be with us next time to join in. Amen. Steve, you didn't have any words for Matthew while he was coming. No, I figured I'd give him a break this time. He's uh, laboring up there. If, if, you know, if he was just laying down in his bed and said, I'm going to call it a day, I'd give him a hard time. <laughs> but uh, since he's working on the on the uh, uh, teen camp out there, I'll give him a him a slide all right well uh, we'll see if matthew holds the same the same grace uh, when you're not around <laughs> i'm sure he would <laughs> you're taking the high road my friend Good. Uh, pastor strobel thanks again sir amen and, and pastor steve good to uh, you know it's good for me whether um five people are listening or 25 or 35 or however many that will listen to this podcast i i certainly enjoy the fellowship and and just hearing the word all right lord willing we'll see you again soon when we meet on that shore free from all care rising up in the sky telling this world goodbye Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Go where go where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies. Go with where, go to where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Why don't you right now bow your head and pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? The Bible says when a man is ready to repent of his sin and put his faith and trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for the salvation of his soul, it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you call upon his name right now? If you're ready to do that and you mean business and you'll call upon him and ask Jesus to save you, putting your faith and trust in him and him alone as your only hope for heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ will come in your heart and save you right now. You could pray. You could ask him to do that even now. If, if you mean business with him, I'm going to give you a prayer that you could pray, not just repeating these words as a vain repetition, but you could pray this prayer or something like it from your heart to God, from your heart through your mouth to the heart of God. You could pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. 
I believe that you were buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Dear Jesus, please come into my heart and save me from my sins and from hell. I repent of my sins and I receive you, Jesus, as my personal Savior. I am right now trusting you, Jesus, as my only hope for forgiveness in heaven. Amen.